This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Hi everyone and welcome to a new episode of the Good Old Podcast. I'm Jackie Franchuli for Wahoo's 24-7 and Virginia football is entering a bye week. It's been a disappointing few weeks with losses to Duke and Louisville. And to talk about where things stand, we bring Delhi Progress's Greg Medea. Greg, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, happy to do it, Jackie. You know, there's the accountability is the word that we've been seeing tossed around a lot in this program. And I felt like we needed to put ourselves accountable for our stuff uh, when we talked about during our game previews for our decisions and during our buy or sell segment. But before we get to that, accountability has been something that Tony Elliott has been saying about the coaching staff as well as the players. He's also been saying that he wants more buy-in from these players. He's been so looking for that. When you look at this program right now, how much of that buy-in or not, not some players buying in, was it a surprise to you? Or is it really just about a new coaching change? You know, that's the normal transition when you go from one philosophy to another. Yeah, it's it's interesting, and that that's, that's the line Tony Elliott's walking right now at UVA in his first season at the helm of the Who's. He's trying to figure out who's on board, who isn't, and what it's going to take to to get to the point where the locker room is is fully entrenched in everything he's saying. He comes from a program at Clemson that has a certain way of doing things, and it's been super super successful uh, there. Of course, it, it didn't quite start like that even he's mentioned you know they had that tough year in 2011 they lost that orange bowl to west virginia 70 33 game and it took time for that culture to grow that after that season right Dabo had the fire defensive coordinator then and ultimately hired brent venables and that really helped things turn in the right direction players understood they had talent on that team uh players understood then what they were trying to build and you know through the years it grew and it grew and it, it got better and it you know built into one is at that point right now where they're trying to understand how to win, learn how to win, uh, not just, you know, on, on a Saturday, but within a game and within uh, the snap to, for, from one snap to another, running on the field and off the field, in practices, what it takes behind the scenes, understanding the, the football intelligence it takes to, to win games. Those are all things Tony Elliott is, is worried about right now. Uh, and is trying to instill in his team in order to help them in the future. Of course, there's there's new offensive schemes, new defensive schemes that he believes in uh, that that 
he wants and he wants for the program and thinks will work for Virginia long term. But there is, there are some issues with with the current group because you have a team that had some moderate success last year, right? They, they weren't they weren't championship good a year ago, but they were bowl eligible good. The offense was excellent and fun uh, and, and slinging the ball all over the yard. And Brennan Armstrong became one of the most accomplished passers in the country, finished second in the country for passing yards per game in 2021. So when you have to recalibrate and readjust to what your new coaches are teaching, I'm sure there's at least a little bit of question and a little bit of hesitance. Uh, but I think what's important is Elliott gets those older players. And I think he does have Armstrong, Nick Jackson, Anthony Johnson, those type of players who are fully all in on what he's teaching. And that's, that's I think, the most critical. Because if you get those top guys, that, that some of the first-time starters and younger guys and redshirt guys look toward, maybe it can help you set the culture. If those guys remain bought in and those guys stay bought in, I think he'll be okay. I think what's happening now is is you have a lot of guys who want to be in, but just don't understand exactly what he's talking about, understanding exactly what it takes to win. And he's used to seeing it such an elite level, Clemson the highest of the highs, where no no detail is left, uh, you know, overlooked. I think that's that's the difference right now, and that's that's why you're not seeing the results all the way. Uh, click. You know, before I had this job, I covered James Madison up the road in Harrisonburg, and that team was dominant at the FCS level. Heck, they're dominant right now, winning at the FBS level. Uh, but one thing there is is that program knew how to win. Kurt Signetti, the head coach there, did a great job instilling it, even after Mike Houston left and after they won an FCS championship in 2016. So to me, you, you just when you're in programs like that and you see it, you know what it takes to win. And that's what Elliot is trying to do at UVA. He's trying to instill those little things behind the scenes and within a game that, that maybe the fan, the average fan doesn't notice. But, you know, come three, four years down the road, maybe it pays dividends. Yeah, and one thing that I've been stressing a little bit on the podcast and even on our site, Wahoo's 24-7, is that this is such a different circumstance for a coaching change. Generally, it's an expected coaching change because the, the team is not performing well or someone's retiring. And this was unexpected. So the players didn't know the coaching change was about to happen. So mentally, they weren't ready for it. Their bowl was canceled, so they couldn't even play for their head coach one more time. And a lot of these guys are very close to Bronco and some of the staff members. And then here comes a guy who's trying to change the culture and impart what he's doing in a program. So I can see why there's some hesitancy is just a different type of coaching change and different type of coaching transition. And I think in some ways this might be harder on a coach try to come in, because if you're coming in a program that's in a disarray from top to bottom, it's a little easier to come in and say, listen, I'm trying to change everything. I want you to show when you've got, you know, like you're saying offense that was successful last season, come in like, I'm going to change it to my system because this is a building a foundation for the future of this program it might take a while to get to where you guys were. And that's a little harder to buy in, especially with competitors that you have on a team. So it's it's probably, I don't want to say it was surprising because when in coaching change, you have this sort of transition, but I think everyone expected the buy-in not to be in you know this point when we're heading the bye week. I think that was the probably the surprising thing to me anyways. And Greg, I'm going to have to put you on the hot seat like myself. I have to be on the hot seat too. Let's take a look at what we said before the season. 
And I think we can start with the offense here because that's probably the biggest thing. So we both bought that this offensive line was going to do enough <laughs> to create a run game and to protect Brennan Armstrong. We both were, we both said they needed time, though, but we both thought it was going to be okay early on in the season. And we both we both actually said that this offense wasn't going to put up big numbers, though. We both said that was something that we were going to sell. So looking back and looking at, and I'm also going to pull up some numbers here so that people can uh, see. Did you expect so much of the growing pains? I'm going to bring up, if you're on YouTube, I'm going to bring up Pro Football Folks' numbers. And if you're a Wahoo's 24-7 subscriber, you have seen these. Um, according to PFF, Brennan Armstrong was the second most pressured quarterback through the first few games this season. That is reason why sometimes Brennan just can't get the ball out. Were you shocked at how much pressure he's been getting or how long it's been taking for this group to kind of mesh? I can't, I can't remember exactly when we did that podcast, <laughs> but I didn't anticipate so many lineup changes through the early going, right? At the halfway mark, they've started, what, seven different offensive linemen at this point. If you count Mikhail Boley and you count – Ty Furnish, who began the year as, as, as starters. Uh, since then, Jonathan Leach has entered the starting lineup. Justice Johnson has entered the starting lineup. And they've continued to rotate Johnson and Furnish at center. And all along, at least through the early part of training camp and, and into the first few weeks of the season, you heard, you know, they were looking for five consistent offensive linemen. If you're still playing, still rotating, guys. Noah Josie's played more in recent weeks. I, I think more in a Duke game than anything else. But if you're still rotating that many guys. I, I don't know how you can get that cohesion. And that's been something I didn't quite anticipate. I thought they'd settle on five and maybe have, you know, one or two rotational pieces, uh, but not guys. They, they, they sub in, you know, every other series, it seems like with Johnson and Furnish at center. So to me, that's that's been really interesting. And I think one of the other things uh, that maybe in hindsight I, I should have looked at then was how many odd front defenses that they were going to face. Right. That group had struggled against against three down defenses. Uh, and, and assessing where blitzes are coming from, and and opposing defensive coordinators in those in those systems are having an absolute field day because at Illinois, at Syracuse, and again this past weekend against Louisville, they couldn't block an, an odd down defense, an odd down defensive front, and the rushing numbers tell the story too. I think I was looking at it when when they're facing an odd down front defense, they're only averaging like sixty five rushing yards per game. When they face an even front defense, the other three games they played this year, they're over like 190 <laughs> rushing yards per game. That's a huge difference. So that kind of tells the story because it shows, you know, inexperienced offensive line, not going to be able to communicate where those blitzes are coming from so well. Uh, and that, that's, that's the difference to me at this point is they haven't really found the five. They're inexperienced, so they don't know how to communicate against defenses that are going to be disruptive, going to blitz from all different angles. So that's what's tough. I think they've found some pieces, right? Anytime you start a freshman at left tackle, no, no matter the circumstances, and Mikhail Boley, that's a promising thing. I think John Paul Flores has been a good addition for them, is kind of steadied with, with, an, older, with an older voice who's played some football, uh, the transfer from Dartmouth, uh, Logan Taylor, uh, has played every game. So I think they have something there, uh, some pieces there, but they just haven't been able to put it together as a unit. They haven't been able to to figure out those odd front defenses. 
Yeah, and and I know a lot of it. Their hands are tied because it's been injuries, it's been illnesses. Yeah. You know, Jonathan Leash is playing a cast with his hand. <laughs> so it, it's it's sometimes it's just the coaches are tied up. They don't they yeah. don't have the ability to go down the depth chart because some of them are hurt. And you know, you talk about Mikhail Bowley being a first year, you know, having a start. Houston Curry is now in the two deep, another true freshman. So that's where their depth is when it comes to this offensive line. And it affects Brennan Armstrong. Um, you know, we can just look at some of the greats he's had this season. And ironically, although we've been talking about two losses against Power 5 opponents to Duke and Louisville, those are the two best games for Brennan Armstrong as far as passing. He's actually had the highest passing grade of 76.2. Now, nothing compared to his season grades from the last two years of a you know 90.3 in 21 and 85.2 in 2020. But it is showing improvements, little improvement. Um, you know, he just you can't you can't blame the guy for drops when the guy get catch the ball in his chest. And I think that's probably the most shocking thing for me is how many drops there has been for this sure-handed wide receiver. When we we're talking about last year, that Brennan Armstrong sometimes can toss the ball knowing their wide receivers can make a play. He doesn't have that confidence. So you have a quarterback who now can't trust his protection. Sometimes he's throwing on his back foot, and I feel like his mental timing is off, is that mental clock, because he even when he doesn't have pressure sometimes, I feel like he feels like he does have pressure. And then you have a, a position where either they're not comfortable in their routes or they're they're kind of bumping into each other because they're not running the correct route at that time. They're mistiming between um, Brendan and the wide receivers. you got drops. So there's a lot of things going on with a new offense. And actually, let's take a look here. This is the passing direction for Brennan so far this season, and it's it kind of explains what's going on. They've been struggling on those deep throws, something that they tried a little early on in the season and something that Des Kitchings discussed a little bit, how they adjusted more to those short passes and those sometimes getting those jet sweeps and stuff to get more momentum and something that we saw in Duke I liked. When is that when they've moved the ball a little bit better and you saw that in Louisville? Just as it haven't been consistent enough, and that's something where – it's it's hard for a guy like Brennan and when you watch this offense, you're like, well, if only this were to happen, if only this were to happen, they would have won. But then you like this. This has been a consistent problem, Greg, where it's it's like those little things aren't meshing. And at some point you're like, when are they going to stop shooting themselves in the foot, having those penalties on offense that negates those big yardage plays like Xavier Brown's illegal blindside blocking that took away that long pass to Keaton Thompson. And then those drops, it's, it's, it's hard to evaluate a team where it's so many self-inflicted wounds. Yeah, and, and this past weekend, they were basically one-dimensional. They, they couldn't run the football against Louisville, and I think that makes things even tougher. Uh, so I guess it's a credit to Armstrong that his uh, grade numbers were, were strong uh, via, via pro football focus uh, because that he essentially wasn't, it wasn't drop-back quarterback pass boat. Uh, the whole game. When you can't run the football, you can't have as much success off play action because nobody believes you're going to run the football well. Uh, so to me, I think that's that's part of the issue too. This past weekend, they've been able to run it well at other games, but you need to have it consistently if you're going to play in this offense, right? It's not like last year where it's an air raid offense and it's going to be, you know, the ball's going to be slinging around uh, the yard and defenses know that, but your scheme is is geared. Uh, to, to have a pass-heavy offense. This offense that Tony Elliott and Des Kitchings uh, have installed and implemented is is supposed to be balanced. So you have to have at least the threat of the running game uh, in order to do some of the things in the passing game that I'm sure they'd like to do. 
so that that kind of goes back to to what I was talking about with the odd front. You got to be able to block that better. And I think Des Kitchings and Tony Elliott have mentioned their running backs have to be better. They have to be better in one on one situations and and fix the old line on their own a little bit. Uh, well, I think it was I think it was Brown too who stumbled and tripped in the backfield on on a play that probably could have went for a first down, but just tripped. Uh, and then Paris Jones too. You've gotten some really good starts from him, and then. Uh, like this past week, and I think this past week and then at Illinois just didn't play as well as he had in the other four games. Uh, so it's been kind of inconsistent. That's kind of that's the story of the year to this point for the offense, trying to figure things out, inconsistent. Sometimes you see the flash. Other times you see what it's really been, and that's that's not great. And I think it, it, it does have the potential, right? you, you got to think it does have the potential to get better, uh, to provide UVA fans at least a little hope of optimism that it's going to get better maybe later in the year when some of those old linemen are used to seeing some different defenses and it used to seeing some blitzes uh, that maybe they haven't hadn't seen before, uh, you know, these first six weeks of the season. Brennan, it seems like he's on the right trend. Uh, and, and I know you were sitting in the in the press box near me at Syracuse a couple of weeks ago, and there was, a, there was a scout up there that had said, you know, what Brennan looks like, uh, in this in this game against Syracuse won't be his evaluation of Brennan come week 11, week 12. And I think that's something uh, that's important to think about is, you know, that, that's 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 a whole season worth of growth. And maybe that's what it takes. And I know that's that's tough to hear, probably for 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 fans who are typically right impatient. Uh, but with a new coach, new system, uh, learning it, maybe it just takes some time. Yeah, I remember talking to that scout, and that was something that that resonated with me was that they they're they're looking at the bigger picture where Brennan and seeing his progress steadily like that would actually help his NFL draft stock because they're seeing yeah. him slowly improve. So that's the hope for Virginia. And the one thing that you notice on this offense, and before and this is the last thing we'll talk about, is you're seeing some of the younger guys pop up. Um, you're seeing like Demick Starling who came on against Louisville, and he flashed a bit. And you're going to probably see more of that as I feel like you're hearing Tony Elliott talk about guys, you know, step not stepping up and wanting to push the starters. And you're going to probably see those young guys, I think, moving forward if the starters aren't performing to the level that he's expected. And, you know, I was just talking to somebody and you talk about the running backs and how they need to step up. How much do they miss Wayne Telepapa and his pass protection? Um when you look at all the, when you're thinking of the O-line and the additional help there. So I think for me, it's trying to adjust expectations on certain positions, but also wait to see those young guys pop out. I think the young guys are the hope for this team. When you look at the talent that's coming up, you have Xavier Brown who has flashed quite a bit and you have Demick Starling who has flashed. I think Virginia fans should ex have some hope in that regards too. Cause I think a lot of people are focusing on this season and uh, Tony Elliott is wants to win this season, but from everything we've heard, Greg, it's about the long-term foundation this year. And that's what yeah. he's been kind of drawing upon. You know, he's talking about trying to build a program, not win one game. Yeah. I think, I think that was his line last week ahead of the Louisville game is he's not going to sacrifice his long-term build for, for wins right now. That's, that's a tough reality for fans to listen to. I'm sure. That's probably tough reality if, if the players heard that, right? You're talking about you only get so many years of college football to play. You only get so many years of eligibility, especially if you're a senior or junior. 
Uh, and you've already, you know, you've already had some weird seasons with the pandemic too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, that's probably tough to hear, but if Virginia wants to win big, uh, maybe, maybe they ought to trust the, the new head, the new head coach who's, who's seen it and been in it. Now, if it's, if it's still happening three, four years down the road and, and you're still talking about big picture stuff and culture, then you got a problem. But for right now, I think you, you got to give the new coach the, the time and the benefit of the doubt uh, to, to figure it out and, and, and establish the way he wants to do things. It's his program, right? He, he's got the job. Uh, so, that, so that's kind of where it's at. Yeah, and you can't really judge a coach until he's got his own players in there, players that fit his system. So I always say you got to let him have a couple of recruiting classes underneath his belt because then he can say, this is finally my team. So um, we're going to actually take a quick break because we're going to talk about the defense because that side of the ball has seen some success. So we'll be right back. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. And welcome back to the Good Old Podcast. I'm Jack Franchuli for Wahoo's 24-7. Greg Medea from The Daily Progress is joining us on the show. And we talked a lot about the offense because that's been the hot topic. But we talked about fixing the offense and to get more production but Greg, we were thinking that this was going to be a better defense coming into the season. We both said that we thought the defensive line was going to be a strength when it comes to depth. And you said that you were happy with the secondary, concerned a little bit of the depth. I thought I was going to be buy- I-, I was buying in on the secondary because I like some of that young depth. And going in, it seems like this was a nice turnaround by Coach Rodzinski and his staff, turning around a liability for this team to a unit that has kept them in games, Greg. Yeah, I think I know even this past weekend, though they gave up what 34 points to Louisville, they still created two turnovers. Uh, really, the Duke game is the only throwaway game, I think, for the, for the defense. Other than that, they've really kept Virginia. Right. All those emphasis all those teaching points on the fundamentals, the, the, the tackling reps. How many how many times in practice in the training <laughs> camp sessions did we see the tackling circuit over and over and over again? And I think I think it really helped because uh, you don't see as many missed tackles. Maybe a few this past Saturday, 
maybe a few uh, the week before Duke. But those first four weeks of the season, he didn't really see many missed tackles at all. Uh, the big plays, I think the past few weeks is probably a little bit of a concern and something Rodzinski is going to want to uh, take care of and eradicate uh, going into this back half of the season, right? I think they gave up the 44-yard touchdown run to Brock Dolman, the local backup quarterback. He had a 32-yard touchdown pass to Marshawn Ford as well. And then the week before, they had a 59-yard run they gave up at Duke. Uh, those, those You can't have those big plays when you're, when you're a bend but don't break defense. Uh, and then – but in the first four games, you didn't have those. So that's that's what's interesting. I think only one touchdown of, of 20 or more yards uh, in those first four games. So that that's what you should be encouraged about is mostly you've gotten much improved results from last year. And I think going back to our conversation about buy-in, I think those defensive guys are bought in, mm-hmm. right? I mean, they were looking for anything to hang on to because last year was so tough. Uh, and, and I think what Rodzinski's done with his simple, simple, easy to understand scheme is he's freed up those guys to play fast and they're bought in and they saw they could have a little bit of success. Uh, they forced, what, 11 turnovers already, I think it is, which. Yeah, and 13 sacks. 13 sacks. Uh, they've had contributions from from all different players. Anthony Johnson. Uh, probably the best of the group, but but Nick Jackson's been steady at middle linebacker. Cam Butler's provided some nice moments. Chico Bennett's had some moments. Uh, so I think to me, that's that's really the interesting. Uh, that's that's really the, the the highlight of the season is the strides the defense has made. Uh, they just got to right the ship <laughs> coming out of the bye week to, to to show the last two weeks were more out of the ordinary, you know, a, a fluky, out of the ordinary than than what they than what they normally are. Yeah, and, and the last two games has also been out of the ordinary for for the defense because against Duke, it was penalties that killed them. A lot of those yeah. points from were coming from those personal fouls and they were shooting themselves in the foot. Moving Duke was, the, yeah. I think, the second offensive drive was like 30 yards of just playing penalties, moving him into the red zone. And then the game against Louisville, Aaron Famui was sat out for the first half because of his personal fouls. So you had one of your best defensive linemen sit on the bench for a lot of that time, which I know they have, we, we were happy with the depth with the defensive line coming into the season, but Iron Famui was doing well coming yeah. into the, in the season. So you're missing one of your big pieces. So you can kind of explain some of the issues. Um, but I agree with you. The big plays is what's concerning me right now. And a lot of it is in that middle of the field. And it's, if you listen to the podcast, when in one of my game recaps, I think it was against Syracuse, a lot of them is, it is that middle of the field where I play or they're figuring out a matchup where they can take advantage of. And a lot of times you're hard to pick a player out, but they've been attacking anytime James Jackson is in there in the middle. Um, but that's also what you get for having a guy learning that this is a young linebacker who's getting more reps. And that point was because Nick Jackson was out for a targeting call. And then Nick Jackson also was hurt against Louisville for a certain number of snaps. So he was in the medical tent. So you're, still adjusting to a young linebacker group who hasn't had much reps. So that that's a part of growing pains too. So you have to consider that when you're evaluating this team, but you brought Anthony Johnson. He is the highest graded defender on this Cavaliers team. He's having a really good season for them. He was, he had a great game against Louisville. He was great in coverage. He had that pick. He also had three pass breakups. One of the, which led to an Antonio Clary interception, his first career pick. So 
And if you look, you know, we we talked a lot about the D line because we were really impressed by this D line. They they have they've had a few games where they've caused some havoc in the front, some pass rush. Although they would love to have better numbers against Louisville, which they didn't have a sack or a tackle for a loss. But the secondary is what I've been impressed more because we knew this was a, a position group coming into the season that a lot of eyes were going to be on there. But Jonas Sanker, Lex Long, Antonio Clary, which is a second best tackler on the field for Virginia when he's playing. He's also uh, one of the best at run defense. And we talked about this, Greg, when we we're at games that he's been able to read the offense is a little bit better. And especially on those run plays, he's able to help the guys up front, the linebackers set their positions for those. But those guys in that secondary, Ventrell Cypress, they've been really impressive. Even when Ventrell Cypress didn't play against Duke, Jalen Baker did well coming step in. So that depth at the secondary should be something that Virginia fans should be excited about. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, Sank, every time I watch Jonas Sanker, I'm so impressed with how he runs sideline to sideline. He's 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 always around the ball. I feel like Clary a little bit of the same. Uh, and then and then with what you're getting at the corner spots, uh, that helps slow opposing passing games, right? That that really really helps when you have corners that can that can shut down opposing wide receivers. I think Johnson was matched up with Louisville's best wide receiver for most of that game. Uh, Tyler Hudson, the transfer from Central Arkansas, and I thought I thought Johnson did a really good job. And and Cypress is 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 younger, but but gosh, he he's been very good in coverage too. I think, you know what what I didn't anticipate with the D line was uh, that that Jack Camper wouldn't have as big of a role uh, as 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 he as he was supposed to have, right? I thought Camper would be more involved, uh, but he's been banked up injury wise, so he hasn't played. Uh, as much, and it's it's led to a little bit thinner of a D line, and then you to throw in Famui's benching uh, this past weekend through the first half. That'll thin out that D line quick uh, because you know you, you get pretty steady play from Butler and Bennett on the edges. Uh, Paul Akiri has has played well in in the in the some snaps he gets in games. Uh, Devontae Davis in the middle has been you know hit or miss. <laughs> you know he doesn't play a whole lot. Uh, so to me, I think that's really that's really with what you look at is you, you thought maybe Camper would have a bigger impact than he's had to this point. But the secondary, uh, Virginia's got a lot to be happy about there. And, and even for the future, it, it, it looked pretty bright uh, with that group, especially with Rudd and, and Karome Cox leading the way. I think it helps when you have your defensive coordinator involved in the position room. That probably really helps align guys and understand what they're supposed to do within the defense. Uh, and I think that's that's playing a little bit of a role, too. Yeah, and I think also uh, you have to consider that this staff, when they first got in and saw what their position was like in that defensive end spot, that outside bandit, they also figured they would have Mike Green in the mix too. Yeah. That's obviously not the case right now, so they're down one body as well. So that's why I probably think they, they're playing Paul Akir more now than they expected, although Paul Akir honestly has had some good flashes. He's one that was able to shed the block um, a lot better against Duke, and he had some good flashes there. Yeah. Um so he is one, but I don't think they were probably thinking he's going to play more. I think when they factored in, I thought Mike Green was going to have a, a bigger role in this game. So so that was, you know, the defense has been a nice change of pace for Virginia. It's a night and day from last year. Obviously, we talked about the big plays. That's certainly the area of focus. So let's leave with one thing, Greg, before you go. I know you're in Charlotte preparing for uh, basketball media days for women's on Tuesday and men's on Wednesday. So I don't want to keep you on too much longer. 
moving forward, what is the biggest thing for Tony Elliott and his staff to get this second half going? Because this is a crunch time. You got to go at Atlanta, and then you have three big home games at home with Miami, UNC, and Pitt coming into town. You got to start winning some games, right? That, that's how you get buy-in. That's how you get belief from the guys who are on the fence. Uh, I know, I know that's that's probably the most obvious to any fan listening. But you know, if you, you beat Georgia Tech, all of a sudden guys start saying, "All right, three and four, You know, maybe we can find a way to get to six. You know, or you know, we we showed we can we can bounce back from a three game losing streak. You know, that that might be what guys are thinking if you can get a win out of the gate against Georgia Tech and got plenty of. Uh, plenty of time to prep for the yellow jacket. So, you know, if you can win a game or two right out of the shoot coming off the bye week, maybe you reignite some hope, some energy, and you, you get those guys who, you know, might be a little unsure uh, and, and and see a result, see a positive result. I think that would help, right? UVA hasn't won a road game in a long, long time road, uh, especially against power five opponent. Sheesh, uh, in a long time. Uh, they they really they they could use a win, right? It, uh, that that kind of cures everything and alleviates a lot of the stress for a little bit at least. Uh, so you know, start start winning some games. Start winning some games. It sounds so easy, right? Hey, right. I mean, at the end of the day, that's that's it's a results business, right? You gotta you gotta start winning some football games. Uh, I guess if you want if you wanted a better answer, I guess uh, offensively, <laughs> offensively you got to start. Scoring points. Well, that that too, but eliminating turnovers that'll give you a chance to score points. To me, yes. that's that's the biggest issue, right? Going back to this past Saturday, I know Brandon Armstrong. He's, he's doing everything he can to try to help the team, but if he doesn't fumble inside the red zone, there's a chance they go up thirteen nothing or seventeen nothing, and Louisville quits with its backup quarterback, right? So right. you know, it's it's those little things that you know within a game you're thinking ah one turnover, no big deal. They're up ten nothing. The wheels fell off after that, and and that's that's a huge issue. So you've got to eliminate the margins. Very the margin for error is very small with this Virginia team. Uh, so yeah. you, you you can't give the ball away. It really was a tale of two offenses where that fumble took the sails out of Virginia, and then the next drive, I believe, or two one or two next drives, you had that long run by Louisville as quarterback and that just sparked he was gaining confidence every single drive he was there he started and you're thinking oh this is going to be a long day for the cardinals offense and then he just kept getting better and better and better it really was a tale of two different offenses one losing confidence as the game went on and one just embracing it and gaining confidence so yeah it's uh I was going to say when Virginia was in the red zone there, you thought, man, is this the day they put it all together and is this offense? And it looked like it. It really did mm-hmm. up until that fumble. It looked like it. So you eliminate the turnovers and, and maybe you got a shot to, to score some more points. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think the only thing I, I would add was that I agree with Tony Elliott in that press conference after the game is where people are still looking for Brennan Armstrong to be that guy to turn it around. They want, they if anything goes wrong, it's Brennan. Brennan's going to get us out of it. And I think that's forcing Brennan to do more than he should, as it is example with the fumble. When he's got that first down, just fall to the ground. Throw the ball away at certain situations. Yeah. I think because people are reliant so much, and that's something, you know, that's something that happened last year. They were always relying on Brennan Armstrong to get it done. It's You need someone else to step up. And that offense, Kate Keaton Thompson has done, a, you know, he, the guy fights, he's, he's the hard guy to come down, but you need more guys to put up 
and uh, take a hold of this team on the offensive side. Not everything can go through five. Yep. No, to- totally fair. Totally fair. So, but Greg, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I know that uh, I've been getting um, on the message boards. They remind me that I bought the O line. So uh, during the <laughs> game preview, so I felt well, like we needed to talk about that. So I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, no problem. Sometimes we're wrong, right? I mean, what are you going to do? Sometimes we're not perfect. <laughs> All right. See you, Jackie. Yeah. Thank you so much for Greg for joining us on the show. Like I said, I know we talked about accountability, and I felt like. I needed to bring Greg here to talk about what we said preseason. And of course, I'll bring Preston over too. He needs to pay for what his predictions were too. So I'll make sure to bring Preston on the show again so we can talk about those preseason predictions. If you like what you're hearing, go ahead and like this show on YouTube, but also go ahead and subscribe to this show wherever you listen to your podcast. And if you can, leave a review and rate us. It'll help us with the algorithm and grow this show. Um, I really appreciate all the support you have given and we will be back here later this week. Since it's a bye week, it's a little bit different. Um, my hope is instead of having a game recap this week, we had this mid season kind of review with Greg Medea. And then because we have basketball media days this week, and we also have the opportunity to watch the men and women scrimmage on Saturday, I will have a basketball podcast next Monday instead of a game recap. So We're going to have one more podcast on Thursday this week to discuss the football program, and we might dive into recruiting as well. And then next Monday, we'll have a basketball-focused podcast to discuss our big big perspective from the scrimmages, what we like, what we didn't like, and what are the expectations for that program as well as that season is set to tip off. So for Greg Medea, I'm Jackie Franchuli, and I hope you guys have a good rest of your week. Friday, TV's hottest show is Fire Country. I'm not a hero. I'm in orange for a reason. They're taking 12 months off your sentence. You're free. Lady. With a special epic season finale. Now that I'm out, I need something to get me up in the morning. You are a firefighter. You speak. That will be unforgettable. In the name of your life's happiness, go get your girl. She's getting married tomorrow. Says, when do you let anything get in the way of what you want? The Fire Country season finale, Friday, 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.